Well, good morning. Welcome to Zion on this Sunday in which we celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord. A few things to share with you before we begin our worship. At first, as a reminder, you'll see the insert in your bulletin that our Shrove Tuesday Pancake Supper will be this Tuesday, so make plans to stop by and eat pancakes with us. Also a reminder that Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Also, our funeral planning workshop will be Saturday at 10 a.m. this Saturday, uh, and it will go no longer than an hour, so we'll be out by 11, and we'll just take that time to talk about what are some things to think through uh, for your funeral service that you would like, that you would like the church know, to know, your family to know. Uh, so it will be a good time just to get some planning done and to think through some of those questions that might come up. Uh, finally, if you haven't picked up your March newsletters, they are in your box, so please grab them on your way out. Are there other announcements, other prayer requests that we have for the congregation? All right, if there's nothing else, I'll invite you to take a moment to quiet your hearts and quiet your minds as we listen to the prelude and prepare to worship. And I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves, that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done 
and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord for the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to God's people on earth. Lord, 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 Lord. 
Let us pray. Holy God, mighty and immortal, you are beyond our knowing, yet we see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Transform us into the likeness of your Son, who renewed our humanity, so that we may share in his divinity. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from Exodus. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone, because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. The word of the Lord. You will read responsively Psalm 99. The Lord is king. Let the people tremble. The Lord is enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Let them confess God's name, which is great and awesome. God is the Holy One. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord and fall down before God's footstool. God is the Holy One. You spoke to them out of the pillar of cloud. They kept your testimonies and the decree that you gave them. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord and worship upon God's holy hill. For the Lord our God is the Holy One. A reading from 2 Corinthians. Since then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, to keep the people of Israel 
from gazing at the end of glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their mind. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we are engaged in this ministry, we do not lose heart. <clears throat> we have renounced the shameful things that one hides. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsely test falsely God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. While he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory, were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I invite you to be seated. And children, I invite you to come forward. All right, so you're a very wonderful Sunday school teacher this morning. Uh, had you do me a favor, and you guys worked on these pages. What, did, what do your pages say? They all have the same word. They're different pictures, but they all say hallelujah, right? And just as a reminder to all of us, what does hallelujah mean? Do you remember? Praise the Lord, right? It's a word of praise. It's a word of rejoicing, of gladness. 
praise the Lord. That's also what my banner here says, right? That was hanging up. We just took it down. Well, today, we are going to say farewell to our hallelujahs. All right, we're going to put them away for a little bit. Because later this week on Wednesday, we'll begin in the church here, the season of Lent. Right, and so in Lent, we put away our hallelujahs. We don't use them in our worship. We don't use them in our prayers as a church. We don't use them in our singing. Right, we put them away. Right, and we put away this word as kind of a preparation for a bigger celebration. Right, what's the biggest celebration that we have in the church? What day? It's even bigger than Christmas. Christmas is pretty big, but this one is even bigger. Easter is the biggest celebration. Yeah, and the church year here at church, it's the most joyous, it's the most light, it's the most glorious service we have. Right? And so during Lent, we're really preparing for that celebration. Right? We're preparing to be so full of joy that the hallelujahs are just going to like spring forth out of us. And so part of that preparation is putting away our hallelujahs today. But it's also a reminder to us right, that during Lent, it kind of reflects our lives. Our lives are not always full of joy. Our lives, we don't always feel like saying hallelujah. We don't always have an extra spring in our step. Right? Sometimes things in life are difficult. Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes we might feel alone. And we just don't feel like that hallelujah kind of moment. But Lent reminds us that even those difficult periods are part of being a Christian. That God loves us even in those moments. And so we take time in the church here to remember that even in those difficult moments, God doesn't leave us. But Easter Sunday will come. And Easter Sunday represents everything good, everything joyous, every hope, every promise that God makes to us comes true on Easter Sunday. And so we're saving our hallelujahs for that day. And on that day, we'll praise the Lord. We'll say hallelujah, we'll be joyous. The sanctuary will be beautiful. Everyone will be dressed up. It'll be a beautiful Sunday morning, but we're going to put away our hallelujahs today, all right? So what I'm going to have you do, fold, depending on who you are, fold up your hallelujahs or crumble them up or whatever works for you. Got them? All right, and we're going to bring them over here to this box. And we're going to say farewell to our hallelujahs, and we're going to prepare for Easter when we're going to bring them back out and together we're all going to shout our hallelujahs. All right, everybody said farewell to their hallelujahs. Good. All right, let's pray. Lord, prepare us for the Sunday in which our hallelujahs will come out. And in which every promise will be made true. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, so over the last 30 or 40 years, 
It's become common knowledge that unborn babies can hear quite well in the womb. Now, how exactly what they hear is interpreted, if they hear some frequencies better than others, what role it all plays in their development, that's all debated. But it seems there's little debate about the fact that at around 24 weeks, the unborn child will know his or her mother's voice, will know some other familiar voices, and perhaps might even be able to respond to music that the mother listens to on a regular basis. So the idea is that long before we see the world for what it is, we learn to hear the sounds of the world. And what we hear shapes what we see. Right? And as we mature, what we have heard will shape how we see the world. So as Luke unfolds the gospel for us, he wants us to know that what we hear will shape what we see. Specifically, it's in listening to Christ that we begin to see the glory of just who Christ is. So at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, we're told a little story about King Herod. But King Herod gets curious about reports he was hearing about this man named Jesus. And in verse 9 of Luke 9, he says, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And then Luke goes on to say that Herod tried to see Jesus. We notice here that Herod hears about Jesus. He hears rumors and reports, and he makes some assumptions about who Jesus might be. And Herod tries to see him, but he fails. He never does see Jesus. He never sees who Jesus truly is. And he never sees Jesus because, well, he never really listened to Jesus. He never opened his heart to the words of the Lord. Well, this is a point of tension in all of the Gospels. Everyone wants to see Jesus. They want to touch him. They want to crowd around him. They want to be witnesses to his miracles. They have all heard so much about him. They've heard rumors. And many people in the Gospels think they know exactly who Jesus is based on what they think they know about the Messiah. But it seems to be the case in the Gospels that not everyone who wants to see Jesus actually sees him for who he truly is. Well, then who sees Jesus? If we go to the end of the Gospel of Luke to chapter 4, Luke gives us a clearer picture and a great story of who does see Jesus. So this is a post-Easter reading, and two travelers are returning from Jerusalem to Emmaus after the Passover in Jerusalem in which Jesus was crucified. Well, they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but now they had assumed that their hopes were dashed because Jesus was crucified. But miraculously, Jesus begins to walk with these travelers, but they don't know who it is. They can't see Jesus for who he really is. They only see a stranger. Well, it's not until they begin to hear Jesus open up the scriptures to them that their hearts begin to open within them. And finally, when Jesus breaks bread with them, they see who it is they've been talking with the whole time. Right? They really only see Jesus after they have truly heard him and listened to him. That's until they've listened to what he said about the scriptures, about the cross. Right? Hearing, in this case, comes before seeing. And now at the transfiguration in the Gospel of Luke, we'll have the same relationship between hearing and seeing. Our reading this morning begins with verse 28, and it starts eight days after these sayings. 
So for Luke, there's a connection between the words Jesus spoke in the previous section, which we don't have, and what happens at the transfiguration. So in the previous verses, you'll need to know that Jesus says things to his disciples like, the Son of Man must undergo suffering and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And it's not clear that the disciples understood any of this, that they really listened to what Jesus was telling them. Because before chapter 9 is even over, the disciples will begin arguing about which of them is the greatest, which should have the most power. They don't understand. The disciples have a problem seeing just who exactly Jesus is because they haven't yet listened to his words. They have yet to inquire and to submit to his teaching that he is going to the cross to die. They know, they think they know that Jesus is likely the Messiah. They've seen his miracles. They've heard some of his wisdom. They know that Jesus is changing the world in some way. But there's an open question here about how well they really see Jesus. Because for Jesus, everything in his life, everything in his ministry, all of his teaching, all of his miracles, they all center around the cross. The disciples only see Jesus through their assumptions about what power is to be. What then do they do with Jesus who says he has come to die? And now, even more, in the story of the transfiguration, there are all kinds of questions about what's actually going on in the disciples' heads. Right, verse 32 tells us that the disciples nearly slept through the whole event. It reads as if Jesus began to shine gloriously, was transformed in glory, Moses and Elijah appeared in glory, and the disciples got sleepy and were about to fall asleep. What's interesting here is that Luke tells us what Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about. They were talking about his death to come in Jerusalem. And the disciples were ready to sleep right through it. They weren't fully awake. They were missing something about who Jesus was. And so Peter kind of stammers something about putting together some dwellings, not knowing what he said. Peter and the others here just aren't seeing the whole picture. It's hard to say what they thought was going on, but the event here does not seem to have transformed the disciples in the way you would think. They come down from the mountain and argue. When they get to Jerusalem, they will abandon Christ in his agony. It does not register to them that Christ who is shining here, Christ who is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, that he has come to die on the cross. Right? But in that moment of the transfiguration, God's voice comes to them in the cloud, and it tells them, this is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's the key. That's why they were yet to put it all together. That's why they were sleepy. That's why they were arguing. They were not yet listening to Christ. For Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration is the beginning of the journey to Jerusalem, in which he will be crucified to bear the sins of the world. And there's no understanding Jesus without listening to him when he speaks about the cross. There's no seeing the glory of Christ without knowing that he has died for you, and that in following him, we are called to die to ourselves and be raised with him. Hearing of Jesus' love for you, hearing that he has died for you, 
hearing that he was raised in glory for you, that's the key to knowing who Jesus is. And not just hearing the words, but taking them to heart, truly hearing them. St. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that faith itself comes from hearing. We hear the words of the gospel before we begin to see how they are true for us and for the world. And so we listen. We listen to Christ. And it's only through his word that his image begins to become clear for us. So this week we'll begin the great time of the church year called Lent, right, which is meant to prepare us for Easter. It's a season meant to prepare us to begin to see Jesus, to begin to see him in his risen glory. And we prepare first by listening, listening to all that he has to say to us. The disciples were not ready to see him on the Mount of Transfiguration because they had not yet taken his words about the cross to heart. If we don't take Jesus' words about the cross seriously, we will not be prepared to see him on Easter Sunday. Right? The suffering of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday are not separable from the glory of Easter Sunday. They are all the means by which Christ has secured our salvation. If we skip the cross, the resurrection only becomes a sentimental occasion. And without the cross, the glory of Christ tells us nothing about God's love for us. Lent, then, is about recalibrating our ears to listen to what Christ is telling us. Lent is about training our ears to be attentive to the fact that Christ calls us to follow him to the cross. And so maybe during Lent, right, we commit to a midweek service, we commit to going to midweek services, we commit to giving up some pleasure, we commit to praying more, we commit to fasting some, we commit to giving to charity. But whatever it is, the focus has to be precisely this, which is to listen to Christ. It's about figuring out which voices to turn off, which to open our ears up to, and to do exactly what God is telling us to do. Right? Listen to him. Listen to God's son. Hear what he is saying to you. Hear what he says about his love for you. Hear what he wants to make of your life. Listen to him. That's what this coming Lent is all about. It's about listening to Christ and his words to you. And once you begin to listen to him, you will be prepared to see him in his true glory. Amen.
Let us now stand together and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Heavenly Father, in prayer your Son Jesus revealed his glory to Peter, James, and John. Grant that we, also gathered in prayer, would see him by faith and receive from him the redemption he has accomplished for us. Lord, in your mercy. O God, your Son shines in resurrected light. Illuminate your church with his own brightness, that she would tell the world of his mighty deliverance. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, as you appointed Moses of old to lead your people, as you sent your son Jesus to found and lead your church, sustain us from age to age and grant us teachers of righteousness to guide us in the days to come. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, as your son cares faithfully for his church, grant us a sure confidence in him and give us faithful hearts to serve him according to the callings he has given us. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty Father, you alone establish all authority on earth. Bless those entrusted with this responsibility, both here and abroad, especially Joseph, our president, and Richard Michael, our governor, that they would serve with integrity and honor and for the well-being of all. And grant that all division, conflict, and strife in our world would give way to unity, peace, and quietness. Lord, in your mercy. Father of all comfort, as we follow the way of, your apostles, of the apostles into your presence, you join our prayers to the ceaseless petitions of your dear Son. Hear us now for the sake of the troubled, the sick, and all of those who are facing any kind of temptation, especially Bob, Steve, Mike, June, Chuck, Nancy, Marcy, Greg, Alan, Ray, Marilyn, Jean, Rose, Tony and Carolyn, Monica, Jane, and Steve. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we gratefully remember on this day the manifestation of your Son's glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Teach us to listen to Jesus and ever to fix our eyes on him and his death for our forgiveness. By your grace and mercy, strengthen us to remain faithful in all circumstances. Preserve us to the end, that we may die a blessed death, believing in your Son, with whom you are well pleased. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 
And now the peace of the Lord be with you always. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts. With them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. The author of Ecclesiastes writes, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. As a sign of our coming repentance, we now say farewell to the Alleluia, and to our rejoicing, at the resurrection of our Lord on Easter Sunday. And now go in peace, serve the Lord. <laughs>